So today we're looking at the body number 36. So we started looking at the five stages of enlightenment where Guruji said that the goal is to become Panch, which is that saintly figure who is completely merged with that divine. And Guru started by talking about the steps that you need to become self-realized. So Guru started by saying that Taramkand was the first step, which is where you realize the purpose of your life. And Taramkand allows you to alter your self-perception. And you make the first step to walking on that path. Then comes Gyankand, which is the state of awakening. And so there your awareness moves away from yourself more into the wider story being told. Life isn't about yourself anymore. You see life as the great unfolding. So you move from self-praise to divine praise. And Guruji begins this verse by just summarizing that last phase by saying, Gyan khand mehik gyan parchand. So in the state of awakening, Gyan khand mehe, Gyan parchand, wisdom radiates. So here the word parchand means a really bright, powerful light that radiates everywhere, illuminates all. So Guru is saying that wisdom is this light. Within this state, you have this divine wisdom that's illuminating the mind of the seeker. So what we see is that you have this heightened awareness that's beyond yourself, where we can say that we have normal awareness. Guru is saying that this is a very high state of awareness where it's like this bright, radiant light. And how do we get to Gyan? How do we get this wisdom? Well, in the Indian traditions, in the North Indian languages, we say that Gyan is the opposite of Agyan. So wisdom is the opposite of non-wisdom, of ignorance. So in order to get this wisdom, we have to overcome Agyan, which is this individual identity. So if we're living in our own minds, in our own selves, thinking about ourselves all the, th all the time, if we think we are the center of the universe, that is Agyan, that's our ignorance. As soon as we move past that, when we get this wider realization, then we're getting into this radiance, this light of wisdom. And Guruji says, Gyan khand meh gyan prachand tithe nad binod kod anand. So the word nad here is sounds, vibrations, melodies. Binod in Punjabi would be translated into tamashe, into, in English we might say theatrics, performances. So here in this state of wisdom, there are lots of sounds and melodies and lots of theatrics which bring kod anand. Kod comes from the word krod, millions and millions, innumerable anand, bliss. So, tithe nad binod kod anand. There, various sounds and theatrics bring innumerable bliss. 
So your understanding, your awareness, your perception of life has now been altered so drastically that your mind is radiating. And most of us have spent all of our lives in our own thoughts, in our own worries, and this has only caused us suffering. This has only caused us grief and misery. And we walk around in life with the idea that life is yours. It's your life and you can control your life. You control how you live. And in doing that, we've got so caught up in the idea of control and worrying about what's going to happen next, always worrying about what the outcome of the next day is going to be like, that in doing that you miss something. You miss the beauty of all the sights and sounds and the wonders that are happening around you right now. So life has been living and you've been missing out. And now, in Gyankhand, you've let go of that self-perception, that self-worry all the time. And because of that, you shine. You begin to watch the whole world as though it's a movie, as though it's a show being played out in front of you, with lots of interesting characters, lots of interesting sights and sounds, lots of plot changes as the story continues to unfold. So life becomes blissful when you're no longer in the driving seat. You're just taking a back seat. You've got no plans, no expectations, no idea of reaching some grand destination at the end. You're just enjoying the view, just enjoying the ride. Now we can take this analogy of someone going on a long journey and driving that's how we've lived our life. We've all spent so long in control, driving, in the driver's seat, that now it's quite hard for us to let go of this driver's seat because we're the ones who've been driving this whole time. We don't want to re relinquish control of our own lives because within that driving, within that sense of control in our own life, we think that we can actually steer our lives towards happiness. That's what everyone's trying to do. As long as you're in control, you can choose the direction. And if you lose control, you don't know what direction life is going to take you. But what we don't realize is that in that control is suffering. And real happiness doesn't come when you continue to control your life and take it to a particular direction. Real happiness comes when you let go when you let go of the control. So let's take the analogy, if you're going for a long drive along a really scenic route, you as the driver is not the one who's enjoying the scenery because you're driving. So everyone else around you is sitting and enjoying the ride, but you're the one driving so you have no time to enjoy the scenery. And in the same way, when you get really tired, you don't see it as a stressful thing to let someone else drive. In fact, it's a relief. You can now sit back and you can enjoy the view. And in the same way, we haven't understood that we've been driving for so long in our own lives that we've never actually enjoyed the life itself. 
Everyone else seems to be really happy and you're still trying to get somewhere. You're still trying to find that happiness. But the happiness doesn't come by continuing to drive. The happiness comes by letting go, by moving away from the driver's seat. But it's so hard for us to do that because we've been driving for so long. So because we don't understand how to get real happiness, what we've done is we've conceded to just enjoying temporary happiness. We've just found happiness in trivial things, and as far as we know, that's all that happiness is. It's just keeping yourself busy, keeping yourself entertained with some small happiness, and then we all know that that happiness fades away, so then we go and look for the next one. So we don't know that there is this kind of permanent bliss. We've just got accustomed to very temporary, impermanent bliss. And we've got used to the idea that this bliss wears off. Happiness is always wearing off. And Guru is saying that if we can get to Gyankhand, then we can experience immeasurable bliss. We can get countless bliss. But what is it about this Gyankhand? What is it about wisdom that can get us bliss? In the Anand Sahib, which is written by the third Guru, Guru Amardasji, Guruji actually talks about this in a bit of detail. How do we get this bliss? So in the seventh verse of Anand Sahib, Guru Amardasji says, Anand, Anand, sabko kahe, Anand, Guru te janiya. Bliss, bliss, everyone talks of having bliss, but bliss is only known through the Guru. Janya anand sada gurte kripa kare pyarya. Bliss can be known forever through the Guru if the Beloved grants this grace. So what's this grace that the Guru is going to give us, to give us this permanent bliss? Kar kripa kilvik kate gyan anjan sarya. By bestowing grace, it cuts away our sins, kilvikakate, and the Guru places the eyeliner of wisdom. Guru places an eyeliner. Guruji uses this very specific word called anjan, which is this eyeliner that you place. And Guru is saying that the Guru will place the eyeliner of divine wisdom. So some wisdom is placed on your eyes. It's very specific what Guru is saying here. What Guru is saying that what does wisdom do is that it changes the way you see the world. It changes your very perception of life and it is this perception change that brings bliss. And we think that us being in control that's a perception that we're holding on to. Us being in control, we think, is us steering our lives towards bliss. But we have to change that perception, change the way we think. Let the Guru be the one to decide how we see the world. And that's where Guru says that this is the way to get permanent bliss. And so with this new perception, with this new way of looking at life, Life and death are both seen as bliss. Rich and poor, up or down, everything is seen as a drama. And this is what Guruji uses this word binod, this theatrics. The whole world just becomes a show. Now, if we were able to get 
just to this level of being able to detach ourselves from the driving seat of our own life. If we were able to just get here, for most of the world, this would be more than enough. The whole world is in agony right now. The whole world is lost in so much pain and suffering because we're locked in the prison of our own mind. And so we're struggling to deal with ourselves, we're struggling to deal with our mind, we're struggling to deal with control, and we're facing a lot of stress and a lot of anxiety. So if we were blessed with the right perception, just to change the way we see the universe, change the way we see life and how we deal with life, that would be a life-changing experience for most of us. But then the question arises: is how do we sustain that wisdom? It's all well and good to have a new perception, but how do we keep that going? How do we avoid slipping back into the allure of getting back into the driver's seat? Getting back into our own attachments, being attached to the physical world, to, to Maya. So this is what Guruji now explains in the third stage of Saram Khand. Let's start by looking at the word Saram itself. Now, Gurbani scholars have suggested many different meanings of the word Saram and then interpreted Saram Khand accordingly. The word Saram can mean effort, it can mean humility, shame, taken from the word Sharam. It can also mean detachment and it can even mean bliss. So in Sanskrit, in some places the word Saram means bliss. So you can see that there is no one specific way to translate this word Saram. But we can look at where else in Japji Sahib we've come across this word before. We saw in Pauri 28, Munda Santok Saram Patacholi. And there we translated Saram to mean effort or, hu or humble effort. Munda Santok, make your earrings of contentment and your effort your begging bowl. And if we look at all the different translations and all the different interpretations of, of the word Saram, there are two main interpretations that are sort of prevalent. One is that Saram means honour, that you are protecting your honour, your large. And the way that you protect your honour, and what we mean by that is that if you come from a respectable family, Part of being religious means that you continue the traditions of your parents and your grandparents and your ancestors. That way nobody can actually say that you yourself have put a stain on your ancestry. That sort of honour is what we're talking about. And the way that you would do that is that you would perform all the right actions. You would do all the right things. You would live a very respectable life so that nobody kind of goes back to you and says this is something that you are doing that is affecting your ancestry, your lineage. So that's one use of the word Saram, where you actually live a very good life and you do all the right actions. Another of the main prevalent translations of Saram is effort, that you do a humble effort to live the right way. So both of these are talking about doing good actions, that you somehow commit to 
remaining on this path of righteousness and living a lifestyle of dharam. So we can translate the word saram to mean endeavor, doing the right thing. So Guruji starts saram khand by saying, saram khand ki bani roop. So here we can say saram means endeavor, the right action, the right effort. Bani here comes from the word banavat, which means creation. Roop means beauty. So the state of endeavor's creation is beauty. The state of endeavor's creation is beauty. Saram Kandaki Bani Roop. Now we started by asking this question, how do you maintain this wisdom? How do you make sure you don't fall back into Maya? How do we make sure that we don't undo all the things that we've learnt and make sure that we don't retreat on this path? Guru suggests that we need to make some sort of effort. We need to have a discipline. We need to do the right things. We need to live a certain way. And this is Saramkhand, this kind of living with this effort. And one thing to notice is that the Gurus within the Sikh tradition have always given wisdom and combined it with a practical lifestyle. So this is a very holistic way of, of living. It's not theory, it's not theology, it's not just philosophy. This is something that we can live and practice. So what do we mean by effort? Effort to do what? What sort of effort is needed to maintain this wisdom? And more importantly is why do we need the effort? Why do we need the discipline? Isn't the amazing wisdom that we get from Gyankhand enough? Now knowledge can be valuable. And the experience that we get from alleviating our consciousness from this individual thinking to this more universal consciousness can be something that's life-changing for all of us. It can heal a lot of us. It can change and transform our lives, fix a lot of our mental health issues. But Guru doesn't want you to just have a one-off experience. Guru wants you to maintain this experience. Guru wants all of us to have this thing sustained in our lives, the longevity. And in order for, for that to happen, Guru says that you need to put some effort, but there is something at the outcome of that effort. And what Guru says is that the outcome of all of this discipline is that something is created that is utterly beautiful. At the end of Saramkhand, what is created is beauty. So, Saramkhand ki bani roop. The creation of Saramkhand is something beautiful. Tithe kaadat kadiya bahut anoop. So, we've seen this word kaadat kadiya before, which is forming and creating. That which is formed and created is bahut anoop, utterly incomparable. So, what's Guru talking about here? In the last verse, in Gyan Khand, Guruji said, Kete barme kaadat kadihe roop rang ke ves. So many Brahmas forming and creating forms of many colors and shapes. So in that state, it's all about being in awe of the universe, looking at the whole universe and how radiant and wonderful and beautiful it is. And everything seems to be in this kind of divine harmony and perfection. So in the state of Gyankhand, 
you're looking at the wonders of creativity everywhere. But in the next state, something is created that is even more beautiful than that. It's sublime and incomparable beauty. So what is this something that's being created that's so beautiful? In the next line, Guru begins to offer us a clue. Taakiya galla kathiya na jahe je ko the description of this cannot be expressed. If one describes, they retract and repent. So, as the description of the path of spiritual development, the spiritual progression, as Guruji continues to describe this, this level from one to another, the expression of it becomes more difficult to do. And Guru says that it cannot be spoken of that thing that I'm describing can't be spoken of because as soon as I describe it, I'm going to regret it. But Guru has already begun describing and in the last two verses, in the earlier khands, what Guru has done, we've seen, is that Guru, through the use of the language in the khands, has pointed to other Baniya and has shown us that there is something else that I've already talked about. We've seen that in Taramkhand and we've seen that in Gyankhand, where the Guru uses specific words and specific arrangement of words in his language to point to other verses. Now we can see here, Guruji has done exactly the same thing. The lines that we've just read, Takya Gala Kathyana Jahe, and more specific, the second line here, Jeko Kehe Piche Pachtahe. This line is spelt exactly the same. The entire line is spelt exactly the same as it appears in Pauri 12. Manne ki gat kahi na jaye. The accepting one's status cannot be described. Jeko kahe piche pachtaye. If one describes, they retract and repent. So Guruji, although he's saying I can't describe it, the way he's describing it has now pointed to the Manne Shabads, in fact the very beginning of the Manne Shabads. So the Manne Pauriya began at number 12 and went all the way up to 15. So we saw four Pauriya, we saw four verses that were all about people who had Sunya, they'd listened to the Guru's instruction, they transformed their thinking, they transformed their minds to now accept and follow the Guru's instruction. And so by using exactly the same spelling as the Manne Bauriya, we can deduce that this third stage of endeavor is about training and transforming the mind. And Guru is saying here that one who's transformed their mind, their status cannot be described. This level that the mind can get to cannot actually be described. And Guru says exactly the same thing in the Manne Shabads. Manne ki gat kehi na jai. The state, the status of the Manne, the people who have transformed their minds and accepted the Guru's way. Jeko kehe piche So the gat in Manne is Saramkhand. When Guru says Manne ki gat, the level the Manne get to, that cannot be described what Guruji is pointing to is Saramkhand and Saramkhand Guruji is pointing back here to these Manne verses. So with Saram, with this discipline, with this continued effort, the mind can be transformed into something of incomparable beauty.
the ecstasy of your own consciousness is what Guru is talking about, is beyond comprehension and beyond expression. And what Guru is saying is that if you were at that level, your very attempt to try and describe it to someone who doesn't know that experience will be one that you yourself will regret. Because there is nothing that you can say to someone who hasn't tasted that experience. So your attempt to explain this will be an utter failure. Now throughout Gurbani, we've seen the Gurus mention that at some state in our development, our mind and body become sweet. We see this time and time again, which says, my man becomes mita, or my tan, my body becomes mita. But this isn't something that we know right now. This is in our experience. What is our relationship with our mind? Even though we've built a very close relationship with our mind, we've built a very close dependency, a friendship you may call it with the mind, we're also always battling with our mind. So the mind is responsible for all of our pleasures, but it's also responsible for all of our sorrows. So it's almost a love-hate relationship that we have with our minds. It's not this sweet relationship that the Guru is talking about, where the mind has become so sweet and flavorsome. So what we can see is right now, the relationship that we have with our mind needs to be elevated. There's something more, there's something better out there that the Guru says is possible. So we need to raise our mind, our consciousness, our thinking, our awareness. This needs to be elevated. And Guruji confirms that we are actually talking about the mind here. In the next line, it is the mind that is being described as something that becomes incomparably beautiful. Tithe kariya surta mat man bud. There, the awareness, identity, and intelligence in the mind gets shaped. So Guruji, time and time again, is starting to use this word, this word kariya. And the word kariya implies something that's being grinded, something that's being mixed and churned, and eventually it's broken down and then remolded and reshaped. That's what this word kariya means. So you take something and you break it down, you grind it, and then you mold it into a new shape. So what is it that's going to do that? It's your effort, it's your discipline that's going to do that. With the discipline and effort, the mind gets broken down, retrained, and then transformed into something new. Your intellect grows, your mind expands, your wisdom increases, and your awareness intensifies. Now, interestingly, if we were unsure whether Guru was using Saramkhan to point to the Manne Pauris, we can see here again in these lines, Guru has used exactly the same sentence structure as he does in the Manne Pauris. Now he points to the second Manne verses. So here he says, Tithe kariya surt mat man bud. And in the beginning of the 13th Pauri, which is also the next Manne verse, Guru says, Manne surt hove man bud, manne sagal pavarniki sud. So by accepting, our awareness and intelligence within the mind occurs. 
manne sagal pavan ki sod and by accepting we get all knowledges of the world so guruji ends the manne verses the 13th body manne surt hove man buddh manne sagal pavan ki sod uses the word buddh and sod in that order and here guruji says tithe kadiye surt mat man buddh tithe kadiye sura sida ki sod so it's very clear that guru is now making a connection between the saram khand and the manne bodies tithe kadiye sura sida ki sod so here in this stage in this third level of that spiritual progress what is being churned what is being ground down your surti your awareness your mat your identity and intelligence within the mind man bud tithe kadiye sura siddha ki sud and there it's ground so much and it's remolded and reshaped so much that you get the mind gets churned and gets to know the sud the sud means the information of the gods and the siddhs the ones those meditators with those great spiritual powers there the mind gets churned and gets to know information of the demigods and the meditators with spiritual powers so your mind is now so refined so perfectly tuned you know what it means to think like a devta you know what it means to become a devta what it means to become one of these siddhs you know what it is that that those have have gone through when you yourself have demonstrated this ability to control your mind to restrain your mind you now transcend what it means to be an ordinary human being the ordinary human being is is led by the mind the mind is the master we are the slaves here it's like training the mind the way that you would train an animal you continually do the same routines again and again so that the mind now begins to follow that that it now serves you so discipline is the thing that you've used and now you've transcended what it means to be an ordinary human being into what can only be described as superhuman not because you have some sort of superhuman physical powers but because your mind has been transformed you've controlled your mind so well So this is where now that gyan that wisdom that that you have within yourself now becomes part of your external daily practice your inner world now combines with your outer world so there isn't this disparity between the two and what we see in our life is that we might have these great spiritual ideas and concepts but actually when we go to work we kind of fit in with whatever society tells us to do it's very difficult we find for us to kind of combine that understanding that we have with the social norms it's very difficult for us to break that barrier but when we become so comfortable with our own minds that our mind becomes expressed through the way we live through the way we talk through the way we act that the inner world and the outer world now begin to combine interestingly we've talked about these seven stages of enlightenment according to this thing called yoga vasistha and there we've now seen that the fifth stage within that is called asamsakti and that means the breakdown of the barrier of the inner self and the outer self
So it can loosely be mapped onto what Guruji is saying here as well. So we don't here now distinguish between our understanding and our conduct. And what we're talking about is this disciplined lifestyle, this rahat. The true rahat of a Sikh is that we're always demonstrating this inner experience. The inner experience is never separate from our outer expression. We're always living true to our values. And the reason this at this stage is so important is because it's very easy for the mind to go back. It's very easy for the mind to slip backwards. One of the things that people think about and wonder about is that as we progress in our spirituality, is there a point of no return or do we always have the risk of falling back? Well, Guru is suggesting that no, you need to maintain this kind of discipline that allows that wisdom to stay there. If you become slack in your discipline, then you become slap, slack in your thinking. Then your thinking is very naturally conditioned to go back into ego, to go back into duality, to go back into maya. So it's very easy for the mind to hold on to this self-identity and it's very easy for, for the mind to slip back in. Remember that the five thieves are never far away. They're always hanging around. They're always, for, always waiting for your moment of weakness, waiting to pounce, waiting to be let back in, waiting to strike. So these things and this way of thinking wants to take control again. It wants to go back into the driver's seat. It's sitting there agitated. And they're waiting, these Banjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjjj
being awake in a meditative state in the ambrosial hours, reciting Nam, having that contemplation, this is the greatest thing to do. This is your greatness. Amrit Vela Sachanao Vadiai Vichar. Meditating at Amrit Vela is the only wrath that Guru Nanak Dev Ji has placed in the whole of Japji Sahib. It's the only discipline. The rest is all knowledge, is all wisdom. But there's only one rule that Guru Nanak Dev Ji has said. The first thing that we need to do is we need to maintain our Amrit Vela. So Amrit Vela is an essential part of this mind training. We're talking about training the mind. And that's what's needed to win over the mind. Because remember, what is the goal? Manjite Jagjit. The world, we think, is the thing that's failing us right now. We always like to blame the world. But Guru says, no, your mind is failing you. Overcome the mind and the world is not a problem. But just waking up at Amrit Vela alone isn't enough. That's not the only discipline for a Sikh. That's not the only thing that we have. It's not about performing your duties, your obligations. It's about being aware. And you start that awareness at Amrit Vela. It's not that you get up, you read five prayers, you put the gutka down, you haven't had any awareness throughout your nitanim and you've just got on with your day and you just allow your mind to go in all directions. That isn't what we're talking about. We're talking about your intelligence has to be refined. Your awareness has to be so sharp. Your thinking, your mat, your awareness, your memories, everything that you hold on to, all of that has to be really refined. So what we're talking about is awareness throughout Amrit Vela. And the, the, the purpose of, of, of Amrit Vela is that you start your day with this way of thinking. It isn't a duty, it isn't a chore. It's not something that you're to do feeling like it's a burden on you. This is how you start your day. If your life is about maintaining this wisdom, then you start your day with this wisdom. It's the first mantra that you say to yourself in the morning. It's the way that you start your day, you start your thinking. You warm up the engine with this. But you do it with awareness. Even while you're doing your Amrit Vela, it's with awareness. It's awareness of this non-duality, of this ikunkar, of not getting lost in Maya. But the awareness is needed throughout the day. You have to look at yourself throughout your day and saying, where's my mind going? It's no good doing your Amrit Vela and then letting your mind get lost in your Panchjor, your Kaam Krod, Lob Mohankar. You have to think about, are you throughout the day unconsciously opening that door and letting those five thieves back in? Are you letting get lust get, get better of you? Are you letting your anger get the better of you? At what point do you just let them back in? So over time the Guru has introduced a lot more rats, a lot more disciplines that kind of help us live our lives and maintain this wisdom. One of the things that the Guru has said that would be helpful is that we need to keep the company of other people who are also thinking like this. Because it's very easy to be influenced by our Sangat, by the people that we surround ourselves with. So who the right people are will help you maintain this awareness. 
sweetness of words, having purity of thoughts. These are the kind of things, these are practical ways that we can maintain this awareness. But interestingly, the first use of the word saram is in the word munda santok sarampat jolli. And there in Japji Sahib, the beginning of that verse is four verses that are dedicated to showing you the qualities of a Gursikh. If you remember in that verse, that was the beginning of a conversation with the Sids, where he says, well, you behave in this way, you act in a certain way, you dress in a certain way, my qualities, my values make me a true yogi, make me a true Sid. So the first mention of Saram is actually the mention of all the efforts and all the discipline that we need in our life. And there, over four verses, from 28 all the way to Pauli 31, Guru goes through a big list of qualities that we need to adopt in our lives. And we can just quickly summarize those qualities were Santok, starts with Munda Santok, contentment, discipline, Tyan ki kare awareness, Kinta Kaal Kwarikaya, having this awareness of death, self restraint. Trust, Ai Panthi Sagal Jamati, having this universal brotherhood, wisdom of oneness, compassion, Daya, recognizing the vibration of oneness in all, seeing this life as a life of receiving and having things taken away, union and separation, that this is part of our destiny, transcending Maya and being aware of this ever-watchful nature of the Divine. If you go through those Bodhya, you'll see so many different qualities and Guruji so cleverly started those four Bodhya with the word Saram, this is the effort that you need. So we can see that the Guru has time and time again used very specific words to point back to Japji Sahib. So what Guru is not doing in these five Bodhya of the five stages, Guru actually isn't introducing new ideas. The Guru all throughout Japji Sahib has been laying the foundation, has been laying all of these different pearls of wisdom. All the Guru is doing now is stacking them up and showing you the path, showing you the way. Because this is so late now in the development for the Guru to be introducing new ideas. In fact, Guru has been introducing all these concepts right from the beginning. And we often like to think of these Panjkhands as these brand new concepts that we need to learn. But actually, the whole of Japji Sahib is a demonstration, is an explanation of the five khands. The five khands is now simply addressing those in the right logical order, so that you don't need to worry about understanding these concepts. We've now gone through that process of understanding these concepts. Now it's about how do I live it? How do I actually walk this path? So this is the 24-7 discipline that we need as a Sikh. And... The 24-hour discipline is what makes the Sikh. A Sikh is a warrior of the mind. We're at the moment warriors of the mind. We need to convert that into being warriors. Warriors of our mind, warriors in life, and not just at the times of our prayer. We need to reject this idea that we pray three times a day or five times a day. That's not what a Sikh is about. Sikh is someone who maintains this awareness throughout the day. And this is how you begin to mold your life. This is how you begin to shape 
the mind into something that's enjoyable, into something that's pleasurable. And this is how your life becomes a living expression of that limitless super consciousness that mankind is capable of. Why did you Khalsa? Why did you Fateh?